Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Welcome to this week's podcast, and today we're going to really jump into something that's really, I feel, rock bottom when it comes to therapy, when it comes to learning about the psychology of who and what we are, and that's whether or not our personality is something that really can change. We look at children and we can see that there are certain personalities at the youngest age, at infants. Some babies seem to be cautious, fearful. They cry easily. Others are gregarious and always challenging their environment. So wait a few years and go to a preschool and you'll see on the playground, there are bullies, there are followers, there are leaders, there are criers. It's a whole array of little personalities. And we even see this in, in animals. I know with our first dog, Lulu, we went to a breeder and there were a litter of, I believe, about five or six pups. And five of those pups were jumping all over us and slobbering on us and gnawing us with their little teeth. But there was one dog who stayed behind, and that was Lulu. And Lulu was kind of reticent, introverted, if you will rather passive. Exactly the dog we were after. We didn't want a boisterous, out-of-control dog that was going to drive us cuckoo. So we took Lulu home. And for 17 years, she remained true to her personality. She was always a bit shy, never aggressive, never jumping all over people. This was Lulu. And we saw this when she was just a few weeks old or a few days old. So when it comes to us humans, we see it in our infants, we see it in our children, and we know that there is a genetic component. Obviously, there are differences, and these differences can only be accounted for by our genes. But I guess the big question is, to what extent does our genetic predisposition control our eventual personality? And if what eventually happens is that we don't like our personality, can we change it? Just look at people who come into therapy. Now, I would have to say that anyone, perhaps everyone that comes into therapy has an expectation. And that expectation is that, yes, change is possible. We can change our personality traits. Well, they wouldn't be in therapy Coming into therapy, you're making an emphatic statement that change is possible. It's not a myth. But then again, people stay in therapy sometimes for weeks, months, sometimes years, which may tempt an outsider to say, yeah, well, if therapy works, why is he or she still going to therapy? They haven't changed much. Well, there's an old adage about a light bulb. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, only one. But the light bulb has to really want to change. 
So people, <laughs> people come into therapy because they want to change. Now, we're going to get into the factors that dictate whether or not you are successful. And sometimes you're not successful. And that's why for some people, therapy doesn't work. I mean, therapy doesn't work for everybody. It's not one size fits all, obviously. But, and I say this emphatically, that change does occur. No question about it. We can change, we can evolve, we can become the person that we want to become. But there are criteria that have to be met. And we're going to talk about that criteria. But how much can change? And before we get into all of the what to do, how to change, can we change our stripes to spots? Is that possible? Can we change that genetic disposition if we if we rather be extroverted instead of introverted? I mean, experts believe that personality traits tended to remain fixed, that they didn't change, that our personalities were set in stone. But more recent findings have suggested that personality can change throughout our lives, even into later adulthood. So currently, we are of the belief that we as humans are rather malleable. We do change. And in my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, I talk about neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity demonstrates that we are pliable, like clay that we can shape. We can change our behavior. Now, not only does the change affect the behavior that we're seeking, but it changes the anatomy of our brain. So yes, change is possible. And through learning, we shape who and what we are, both mentally and anatomically. So we do have evidence that what was set at birth can be adapted and changed and molded as we grow. But the changes that I'm referring to, the changes that occur in therapy, the changes that address anxiety and depression, let's think of it as these are changes that occur in, a, in the foreground of things. Think of a stage. You go to a, a Broadway show or a theater, and the backdrop, the cloth that is the painted backdrop, that remains static. That doesn't change. Now, what, what does change is what takes place in front of that backdrop. So the backdrop sets the tone for the play. But the actual action of the play takes place in front of the background, the backdrop. It is the action that takes place on the stage that, that we tend to focus on. Obviously, you don't go to a theater just to see the backdrop. You go to see the action. So we, our backdrop is our genetic backdrop. Everything that takes place is in the tonality, if you will, of that backdrop. So it affects, it affects the extent of certain traits that we can change. This is a limiting factor for some, not so much for others. But let's, let's talk a little bit about the background, the tone of our lives. Now, when I talk about the background, the background traits, these are the genetic traits, the predispositions. I think it's imperative that you understand that when I use the word genetic or predisposition, that from a self-coaching perspective, to me, these are tendencies, tendencies towards certain behaviors, 
They're not life sentences. And whether or not you have a tendency, let's say for extroversion, well, everything is on a continuum. It's to what extent. Everything is relative. So all of these traits that we're going to be discussing today are on a continuum. There's always one extreme and always the opposite extreme. And then there's this whole middle ground. So just because there are these designated traits, personality traits that are genetically endowed, it doesn't mean that you are cursed with trait A or B. Somewhere in the relativity of that, you might find yourself. Research has defined five background traits or genetic predispositions, personality traits. And the five are openness to experience. So the trait of openness, this is whether or not you're gregarious, outgoing, you're loving the stimulus of life. So you're either outgoing on one extreme or not open to experience on the other, cautious, retracting from life. And the next would be conscientiousness. And conscientiousness denotes a tendency to be organized, to be dependable, to show self-discipline. And if you are a conscientious person, you prefer to be planned rather than to let it all hang out and be spontaneous. Number three would be extroversion. And we often use the term and we throw it around, extroversion versus introversion. Of course, on the scale, the relativity scale, we in the middle, we have the ambivert. We have someone who has both traits of extroversion and introversion. But extroversion is considered a genetic trait. C.G. Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, defined an extrovert as someone who feels energized by the external world and the social interactions, whereas the introvert prefers much more sedate internal things, contemplation, quiet. If you enjoy running out to a rowdy party or a club at night, you probably are an extrovert. The fourth would be agreeableness. Someone that's agreeable is cooperative, polite, kind, even friendly. I like to think of myself as agreeable. Perhaps you do too. <laughs> but the, people that are high in agreeableness are among the more trusting, affectionate, and altruistic people. Of course, that's why I consider myself agreeable. And finally, we come to neuroticism. Neuroticism defines people who respond poorly to environmental stress. They interpret ordinary situations as threatening. These people can experience minor frustrations as being hopelessly overwhelming. And you would imagine that neuroticism accounts for a lot of people who find their way into therapy. Now, what about you? Let's just review. See, where, see which of these you would apply to yourself. Openness to experience? What do you think? Conscientiousness extroverted, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Now, don't be spooked. <laughs> As I said in my, in my prelude to these five personality traits, these are predispositions, and a disposition is a tendency toward. It is not a life sentence. Just like a physical tendency, a physical trait, say, toward obesity, well, you may have more difficult time calorically 
but you can control your weight. So we can impact our genes consciously. We can find ways to improve that which may cause stumbling in our lives. Let's say you're, uh, you're not a conscientious person. Let's say you're a slob <laughs> and you're living with your partner and you're throwing your wet towels on the floor and your your underwear and oh and you don't clean up after yourself when you make whatever. So you're not very conscientious and your partner is not very happy. So you decide, being at least a decent person, maybe not a conscientious person, but being a decent person, you say to yourself, you know what? it's just not fair for me to be doing what I'm doing. I get it. It's just not right. And even though not caring where you throw your things doesn't bother you, even though keeping a meticulously neat house doesn't bother you, you make a conscious decision that you're going to improve your habits. And you start to improve your habits. And you become better at it over time. Now, you didn't change your core genetic tendency toward conscientiousness, but you did initiate a more adaptive habit. See, so that's what we're talking about today, that we can, with awareness, it's like the light bulb. That light bulb has to want to change, right? So if we want to change certain tendencies, then we make an effort and we develop habits that can override these tendencies. So let's recap. There are genetic traits, genetic personality traits, the five of which we just mentioned. And then there are learned traits. These can be positive. They can be negative. These are the traits that really, this is the action that takes place on that stage. Now, some of these traits are the reaction to the vulnerability and insecurity growing up. They're compensatory traits. Sometimes we become warriors and more anxious. Especially if you have a core trait of neuroticism, you're more likely to experience, say, anxiety or depression. These are learned, and they are the byproduct of insecurity and our efforts to compensate the stress that comes with trying to protect ourselves through worrying, through being anxious, by withdrawing and retreating, shutting ourselves down, getting depressed. These are really kind of attempts to help save us from that which threatens us, or what I should say more correctly, to that which we perceive to be a threat. Because oftentimes, someone who's suffering from psychological problems, they see danger in safe places. And the further back you go, when these traits were put into place, the more they're ingrained the more difficult they are to change. And they may seem like core personality traits because they were laid down early in life, especially traumas, separations, divorces, deaths. These are the things that can set the stage for a child to develop which seemingly may feel like a core personality trait when in fact they are learned. And this is where we have the most sway when I was a kid, I was, I don't know how old you are when you have a tricycle, but let's say three, maybe four years old. And I lived on a quiet block, which 
kids were allowed to traverse up and down and around without any parental supervision. Unheard of, right? <laughs> and I took my tricycle up to Main Street and made a left at Main Street, and there was a grocery store. And this is one of those old-fashioned grocery stores where all the produce was out in little wooden stands on the sidewalk. And, and as I drove by, on my right-hand side in the gutter, I saw a half a lemon. And I picked it up and I thought, wow, this is going to make a great present for my mother. So with the lemon in one hand and my other hand on the tricycle steering apparatus, I pedaled home to give my mother this wonderful gift. Running inside, running up the steps, handing her the lemon, just waiting to be hugged and kissed and thanked. And then the sky fell in. She was very unhappy. She was very mad at me because she assumed that I stole that lemon. So she dragged me, and I think maybe by the ear. I, I don't know. It's an expression, but it may have been. And we walked the long walk up to Main Street. And then we got to the, the fruit store. I don't know if there's a fruit or vegetable store. It does not matter. And she said, now you go in there and apologize for stealing the lemon. And of course, I protested, but she was adamant. So I had to go in and apologize. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because from that traumatic moment, and it was traumatic for me, what was put in place was a reflex, a personality trait reflex. And a reflex had to do with fairness. Whenever in to this day, I am treated unfairly in my perception. My knee jerk is to feel that rage that I felt at three years old. Now, does it dictate my life? Does it change my life? But the awareness of that impulse is very quickly overwritten by a more rational, present me. And it doesn't really affect anything. It's just like a nudge. It's like a PTSD kind of, you know, where that tendency becomes alive in that moment. But I've worked it through. I no longer feel threatened by my perception of being treated unfairly. It's part of life. Things don't always work out. People are not always fair. Life is not always fair. But I just mention that because there are certain traits that are so traumatic and that's a, a relative term. What, you know, being yelled at by your mother doesn't necessarily have to be a traumatic event. But being embarrassed and bringing that lemon back, it, it, it left an indelible mark on me. Now, maybe if I wanted to expend more energy and more psychology in trying to neutralize that tendency, I guess I could. It's not important, though, because it doesn't affect my life. And when it does crop up in a very unique way, when someone is obviously treating me unfairly, I'm aware of it, and I pull myself back from it. It's, it's been neutralized. And that's an important word. I kind of feel that certain very deeply ingrained, learned personality traits can be neutralized. Now, maybe we don't ever extinguish certain things, certain even much more traumatic events for a child, you know, maybe these things don't get extinguished. You know, maybe they do stay with us through life. And maybe the brain has been altered in such a deep way that there is no 
coming back from the scar that is left. But, and this is what my whole self-coaching philosophy is about, but we can neutralize the habits of the past and replace them with more adaptive present habits, reactions, perceptions. And this is the process of self-coaching. So we have the backdrop of who we are, those five personality core traits. We have our learned traits. And those are the ones that psychology can address and neutralize. Now, remember our light bulb. It only takes one psychologist to change that light bulb, but that light bulb has to want to change. And if the light bulb wants to change, there's a shot. No matter what you feel, if you don't like your slovenly ways and you're not neat, if you don't like the way you ruminate and worry and stress yourself over the most mundane things, if you don't like that you don't have a zest for life and your motivation isn't there, that you feel rather hopeless and downtrodden, well, do you want to change? Now, that's not a casual question because it is a really important question. Because if you want to change, if you really want to change, then you have to be determined to change. You have to be willing to put in the effort that's necessary to change. And it's also being conscious and aware of what needs to be changed. And that's where psychology and therapy really comes into play. There needs to be an awareness of what's going on. Sure, it helps to have some background. You go into your past and sometimes you analyze where these things came from. The, the tr just knowing where these things came from doesn't change anything. These are habits. These, these traits have become habituated over time. And I always say it's like the cigarette smoker. You don't need to know where you got, why you, where or why you took that first cigarette. You got to break the habit today in the present. So the past may illuminate the present traits that we're dealing with, and the past may tell us how they came into play, but it's the present that really matters. And that is facing your problems as habits, habituated patterns, and realizing that habits, all habits are learned, and all habits can be broken. So we have to start becoming conscious of whether we're feeding the habit or starving it. So you have to be motivated. You have to realize that since habit reformation takes place over time, that you're going to need to put in the time it takes, the practice it takes to stop feeding certain tendencies. Go back to the example I gave of the guy that has to learn to be more cooperative and neat with his partner who is disgusted with his behavior. That's going to take time and practice. It's not going to feel natural at first, but we can learn to neutralize tendencies that are destructive and replace them with more adaptive habits. Now, you can't force someone to change, just like the person that's not neat and slovenly is. is you can't just say, you need to change that behavior. That's because that doesn't come from the person. The motivation the determination, the desire to change has to come from you because it's an effort. 
And I tell people that it is like learning an instrument. You really have to be willing to commit yourself to the practice. If you are anxious, if you are depressed, if you are feeling hopeless and lost, you have to be willing to work at that over time, every single day. Now, if you're not willing to put in that effort, if you're not willing to do that, well, the habit, the old habits, the destructive habits will persist. And it's not rocket science. If you want to change, you have to put in the effort to change the habit, to neutralize, I should say, the habit. And the only way to neutralize a habit is to learn what you're doing, the thoughts that fuel these habits, the neurotic thoughts. Oh, I'm not good enough. I could never handle that. You've got to start catching yourself when you are allowing insecurity-driven thoughts to feed the destructive habits of the past. And as you practice doing that, in time, you begin to release yourself from the habit nature of the learned personality traits. Now, let's go full circle. Let's go back to our five core traits, whether it's openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, or neuroticism. That's just the backdrop. Tendencies. These don't have to become actualized into negative behavior. They don't have to become actualized into behaviors and perceptions that detract from your life. Quite the contrary. They can be used to elevate your life. They can be used to increase your awareness, to help you become more sensitive to who you are and what you need to become. Because who you are is determined not just by your core tendencies, but by the evolution of your life itself. Oftentimes, we are just unconsciously, reactively, reflexively allowing the habits of insecurity to continue to degrade our lives with awareness, with effort, with motivation and determination, we can begin to turn the tide. We can begin to maybe not extinguish, although a lot of bad behavior and habits can be extinguished. Some, like the ones that were laid down very early in life, it's, it's difficult, but maybe not even necessary. It's only necessary to neutralize so the habits, like my fairness, my fairness, unfairness, fairness habit, it only, it's only important to neutralize it so it doesn't have a deleterious effect in the present. But we are at the helm. We shape where we're going. Once you're aware of what needs to be reconditioned, once you're aware of the habit reformations that need to take place, then you're on your way. But you need to stay with it. You can't expect magic. These things were laid down over time. Sometimes these habits were reinforced for years. And that's why therapy takes time. Going back to the beginning of today's podcast, sure, therapy works. It takes time. And what a good therapist does, what a good self-coaching therapist does, is that not only are you trying to initiate awareness, but you're also trying to coach determination, encouragement, because for some people coming into therapy, they're, they're at a downtrodden, sometimes lifeless place, and you need to get them to fight the good fight. And if you're not willing to fight for it, well, what can I say? Because no one can do it for you. 
So you need to be rather pragmatic about change. What am I doing that feeds these neurotic habits? And what can I do to break these habits? Being present, not allowing yourself to flow in the past or the future with ruminations and fears and insecurity-driven thinking. You know those thoughts. Those are the thoughts of the doubts, the fears, the negativity. You need to pull that all back with awareness, and you need to work at saying no. So don't let yourself be spooked by, well, I'm just an introvert. <laughs> no. Don't let yourself be spooked by the fact that there are core personality traits. You're not predestined to be anything other than happy. And to me, that's a core trait. I think in all of us, there is a tendency to avoid pain, to seek pleasure, and to be happy. That's the only core trait you need to embrace. So remember, I bring these podcasts to you with high expectation that you might be interested in checking out my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. And you may want to visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn a lot more about my philosophy, other books, blogs, etc., etc. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, that's not an option. And by definition, Victims are powerless, and you're not powerless. Everything's hard until you make it simple. So how about you join me every week, and let's make it simple Believe together. yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart.